Good morning, church. All right. So uh, typically on Orange Sunday, you wear orange. And last year, a lot of people came at me for not wearing orange. And so this year, I decided that I was going to wear orange for you guys. And so if you look down here, I got my UT (laughs) dress orange socks just for you guys. So uh, don't come at me for not wearing orange this morning. Um, uh, it is great to see everyone. I've gotten to meet some new students and some of their families. And so if no one has welcomed you, let me be the first to welcome you to Laurel Church of Christ. I'm glad you're here this morning. Uh, as Mark said, my name is Jason Mundy, and I am the campus minister and director of the Christian Student Center. And our mission at the CSC is a pretty simple one. It is to develop a community of students that know, love, and serve Jesus. So we want our students to know Jesus intellectually, and we feel like that happens through Bible study and getting into Scripture and the Word and so forth. But we also know that just simply knowing about Jesus isn't enough. And so we want our students to love Jesus on a personal level. And so we try to create real and tangible experiences where they can experience Jesus in real and tangible ways. And finally, we want them to take that love and have it fuel them to serve Jesus. Uh, We want them to serve at the CSC and on UT's campus and here in Knoxville and at Laurel, but also wherever life takes them from here. And so that's our mission at the uh, CSC, and if you have any questions about that, uh, feel free to come and talk to me afterwards or find one of our student leaders. Uh, They'll be happy to answer that for you. And in fact, we do have an open house this afternoon at the Christian Student Center, and so you can come by and get a tour of our facilities and get any any, uh, questions that you have answered. And um, then starting at around 4 o'clock, we'll have a cookout, and all of Laurel is invited to the cookout. And so we have a lot of food, so please come to the cookout. Um, It's going to be a great time, and and you'll get to meet some students as well. And so um, up on the screen, I have a uh, picture of my daughter. Um, And so my wife and I, we became first-time parents this past year. And so that's my daughter. Uh, Her name is Magdalene Jo Mundy, and she is almost 10 months now. And she is um, uh, really cute, just a joy to be around. And actually, this lesson has little to do with those pictures. I just wanted a chance to show her off to you. Um, You know, one of the best parts of becoming a father is being able to tell my dad jokes. And sometimes he actually laughs at them too, which is great because he never did that growing up. So um, some of you will get down the drive home. Um, So, uh, you know, actually one of the things I do love about my daughter is how authentic she is. I mean, babies, they are just themselves 100% of the time. Um, You know, when she is happy, she is happy and she lets you know it. There's nothing better than walking into a room and uh, her seeing you and a smile getting on her face. It just warms my heart. Um, And then when she is mad or upset, she also lets you know um, that as well. And so, uh, but she is herself 100% of the time. And, you know, somewhere between uh, being a baby and becoming an adult, you become aware of the way you appear to others and you stop being yourself, and you start caring more about the way you appear to others and the way others see you. And that probably happens in middle school, right, where all awkward transitions happen. But uh, somewhere between being a baby and becoming an adult, you become aware of the way you appear to others. And so this morning, uh, our, our CSE spiritual theme for the year is authentic. 
And this was actually chosen on by the students and voted on by the students. And so uh, this morning, if you don't mind, I want to speak into this idea of authenticity a bit. Does that sound all right with you guys? Okay. Um, so my wife and I, we love to travel. And uh, as Mark said, uh, you know, a few years ago, I was teaching in Huntsville at a private Christian school, and my wife was teaching in the public school system. And even though our schools were just a few miles apart, our schedules never lined up. I don't know why Huntsville did that, right? Um, and so it would be like I would have spring or fall break, and then she would have fall break the next week, and then she would have spring break, and then the next week I would have spring break. And our schedules just never lined up. And one year we were looking ahead at the at the calendar, and we realized that our fall breaks were on the same week. And so we're like, man, we're going to take advantage of this. And so we start brainstorming and thinking about what we want to do, and we finally decided that since it was going to be fall, we would go up to Maine and catch the leaves changing, and uh, we would eat some lobster rolls, and my grandparents would be up there, and we'd visit with them, and, and so um, we thought that that would be a good idea. And so uh, fall break comes, and we fly into Boston, which is about an hour, probably a little over an hour south of Maine. And we go to our rental car place where we reserved a car. And I don't know why car places do this, but they never have your car reservation. And so we go and we try to get our car and they say, well, we don't have it. And so we're going back and forth trying to figure out what to do. And I think while we were at the counter, someone must have returned a car because they say, you know, uh, they eventually say, okay, well, we have a car. It's a lot nicer than the one you reserved, but we will give it to you for the same price. And so we look at each other. We're like, great, this is going to work out perfect. We just need a car to get around, and this one's going to be nicer than what we even reserved. And so my wife and I, we don't drive the nicest cars on the regular. I mean, our nice car is a 2007. And so, um, so we're not used to all the features that these newer cars have. And so we get into this car, and it's got all the fancy features. I mean, probably standard in new cars, but to us, they were, they were fancy. It had like this touch dashboard screen with a map and you could like put in your destination and it would take you there. It had satellite radio, it had Bluetooth that connected to your phone, um, it had heated and air-conditioned seats. Like I didn't even know air-conditioned seats were a thing until we had this car. And uh, it had this light that went off on the side of the mirror when a car was in your blind spot. I mean this car had it all. And for the week we got to drive around and pretend like this car was ours, <laughs> right? But that's just the thing. For the week, we got to pretend like the car was ours. You see, at the end of the week, we still had to turn in the car. No matter how much we pretended like this car was ours, at the end of the week, it was still a borrowed car. And we had to turn in the keys. And so if you have your Bibles with you, uh, this morning we're going to be in the book of Matthew, chapter 25. And uh, if you don't know where Matthew is, Matthew is the very first book of the New Testament. And if you open up your Bible about halfway and flip to the right, you're going to find Matthew. Um, most of you probably have a phone. You can just look it up as well. Um, and so, uh, but before we get to the passage, Matthew 25, I want to give you some of the context of what is happening. All right. And so, um, 
at this point, Jesus is well into his ministry. And uh, if you look at Matthew as a whole, right, Matthew chapters 24 and 25 are really linked together. And they're linked together because Jesus and his disciples are at a place called the Mount of Olives. And uh, Jesus, he is talking about two future events, or predicting two future events with his disciples. And so the first event that he's talking about is the destruction of the temple. And so his disciples are, are pointing out these buildings and so forth, dealing with the temple, and Jesus says, you know, that's great and all, but this temple is going to be destroyed. And we know that by history, Jesus was correct, because the temple was destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans. And so the second part that uh, Jesus and his disciples are talking about in, in the Mount of Olives is the signs of the end of time, right? The signs of Jesus' second coming in the end of what we like to call the present age. And so it is uh, when Jesus is talking about this, he tells his disciples this parable and this story. And so uh, Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Now let's pause there for a second. I know that the majority of your translations says virgins instead of bridesmaids. And I specifically chose this translation, the NLT, because I didn't want that word virgins to be a distraction for you as we went through this story. Um, because really their virginity had uh, more to do with their age and that they were young than their virginity. And so... Um, I didn't want that word to be a distraction. I also think it's important to catch you up on some of the cultural context of what is happening. And so back in Jesus' day, weddings were like this multiple-step process. And I guess they still are today. But, um, you know, the very first step would be uh, parents would arrange for a bride and a groom to get married. And then, you know, you would have many months would pass and they would prepare and all this stuff would happen. And then the very final step would be a banquet that was held typically at the groom's house. And this banquet or this wedding feast was a big deal. Like the whole town would come, it would be um, a big event, and it would often last multiple days, often up to a week long. And so Jesus, he is telling this story or this parable, and the events of this parable are happening right before that banquet. And so continuing on, verse 2. Five of them, speaking of the bridesmaids, five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. Now, as we're reading this, I don't want you to overlook the significance of the oil, the olive oil, right? Remember, Jesus and his disciples are in a place called the Mount of Olives, and so not only is Jesus surrounded by this olive grove, right? Him and his disciples are surrounded by this olive grove. Uh, Jesus is making a reference to an Old Testament passage. He's making reference to a passage at the end of Exodus chapter 27, where God's people were instructed to bring pure olive oil to be burned in the lamps of the tabernacle. And as you read that passage in Exodus, it is clear that the olive oil is a symbol and a representation of the Holy Spirit. And so as you're reading this story, the olive oil here is also a symbol and a representation of the Holy Spirit. 
And so don't overlook the significance of the olive oil. Uh, continuing on, verse 5. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. I heard uh, when I was doing my preparation for this sermon, I came across Pastor Mark Clark from Village Church up in Toronto, and, and he had this to say about this passage. He said, you can't borrow your faith. And he's absolutely correct. You can't borrow your faith because a borrowed faith is a fake faith, and God knows it. You see, you can't borrow your faith from anyone or anything. You can't borrow your faith from the church you attend. You can't borrow your faith from the people you associate with. You can't borrow your faith from your name or your reputation. You can't borrow your faith from your family, your spouse, your, your kids, your siblings, your parents. You can't borrow your faith because a borrowed faith is a fake faith and an inauthentic faith. Some of you have borrowed your faith. You see, some of you have borrowed your faith from the church you attend. Just because you go to a certain church and just because you attend church on Wednesday and on Sunday does not mean that you have faith. Some of you have borrowed your faith from those you associate with. Just because your name holds weight in the circles you run in, in your community and your church and your friends, does not mean that you have faith. Some of you have borrowed your faith from your spouse. Just because your spouse prays to God and gets into Scripture and studies where to get closer to the Lord does not mean that you have faith. College students, some of you were practically born in a pew. Your parents have brought you to church every Wednesday and twice on Sunday your whole life. And up until this point, your faith has been that of your parents. And I know this to be true because some of you, we will see you here today, and the next time we see you won't be until your parents are in town visiting you for the weekend. Some of you have borrowed your faith from your parents. And in college, you have an opportunity to stop borrowing from your parents and make your faith your own. Because a borrowed faith is a fake faith. And here's the thing. We all do this at some level and at some point in our lives. So my wife will be the first to tell you that she is not a morning person. And so um, as, as we've uh, become parents, I've kind of taken over the, the morning routine with our daughter, Maggie Jo. And so um, every morning I get up with her and I change her diaper and then I give her a bottle. 
And after her bottle, I read her two stories. Uh, the first is from uh, the children's Bible that we have for her. And then uh, when I'm done with that story, I read her another story from a book called Your Baby's First Word Will Be Dada. And <laughs> my wife doesn't appreciate that, but she's asleep, so I get to do what I want. Um, and so uh, after I read her these two stories, I, I take my daughter and I put her in the swing, and then I get coffee going, and that's kind of the time that I get to spend with God every morning. And not too long ago, we were having this rough uh, few nights where every parent go th goes through it, right? Um, our daughter, she was teething and she wasn't feeling well, and we weren't sleeping a lot at night. And so we were really tired. And so I would get her up and I would uh, feed her and change her diaper and so forth. And then um, I started justifying to myself that the Bible story that I was reading her from the children's Bible and the work that I was doing for the preparation for our summer Bible study that we were having at the CSC, like that was enough. I didn't need to spend my time with God. You see, I was being guilty of borrowing my faith. I was being guilty of borrowing faith from my daughter and from my job. And a lot of ministers and pastors, they are well aware of this because it is completely possible to do kingdom work for God and not know God because you are borrowing your faith from your job. It is completely possible to do kingdom work for God and not know God because you are borrowing your faith from the work that you do. And maybe it's not your job, right? Maybe you are borrowing faith from the volunteering that you're doing at your church or the Bible study you're leading or from a family member or a spouse. And the problem is, is that when you borrow your faith for so long, eventually it becomes the norm and you don't think you need to get your own. Have you ever borrowed something from someone and had it for so long that it just becomes yours? Or had someone like borrow something from you and they've had it for so long that you know you're never going to get it back? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? I borrowed a book from a friend and I had every intention on reading it right away, but then life happened and I got busy and I didn't get around to reading it. And so then by the time I did read it and I went to return it to him, he had forgot he lent it to me and thought he had misplaced it and bought himself a new copy of the book, right? And you see, when you borrow something for so long, eventually it becomes the norm and you don't think you need to get your own. And this is dangerous because if we continue on and read in the passage, we'll find out. So uh, Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 9. But the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside, calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or hour of my return. And here's the problem with a fake faith. You never know when 
Christ is going to return and redeem those with a real faith back to himself. You never know when it is going to be too late. My daughter's making noises, sorry. Um, You never know when it's going to be too late. College students, some of you have come to college with the mindset of, I'm going to be so busy in college that I will make faith a priority after college. I'm going to be too busy in college, so I'm going to wait till after college to make faith a priority. Some of you have come to college thinking, okay, I want to have fun in college, and faith is going to get in the way of that, and so I'm going to make faith a priority after college, and that's misguided and a whole different lesson. But the point is this, right? Statistically, wherever you're headed when you graduate college, statistically, that's the way you're headed for the rest of your life. And so when you graduate here in four, or some of you five, six, seven years, right, when you graduate here, if you haven't made faith your own by then, statistically, it is going to be too late. And I know that some of you think that you're going to be the exception to the rule, but you're not. And here's why. Because when you borrow your faith for too long, eventually you don't think you need to get your own. And I know that I'm being bold. And I'm being bold intentionally because there is an urgency to this message. Because the bridegroom could return at any moment. And you may think you have time to work on your faith because the bridegroom has been delayed. But make no mistake, the bridegroom is coming. And it is up to you and it is up to me to make sure we have enough oil for ourselves. It is up to you and it is up to me to make sure we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us and in our lives. Because a borrowed faith is a fake faith and an inauthentic faith. And God, he knows it. And you know it too. So where do we go from here? Well, practically, I have a a couple of suggestions that have helped me with this. And so, um, practically, the first thing is to be aware of when and where and who you tend to borrow your faith from. You see, for me, I tend to borrow from a checklist, right? Did I go to church on Sunday? Did I pray to God? Did I uh, have quiet time? Like, I borrow my faith from completing this checklist. And simply being aware that that's something that I do allows me to have authentic time with God during those things. The second suggestion I have for you is going to seem elementary, but it's to make faith a priority. You see, we live in a time where there's so many things competing for our uh, time and our attention, right? There's, uh, I, don't, I can't tell you how many times I've opened up my Bible app or my Read Scripture app with the best intentions to spend time with God and in the Word, only to get a Facebook notification or an Instagram notification or a Snapchat notification. And the next thing I know, I've been scrolling for about half an hour looking at videos of puppies and van conversions and sports clips, right? 
And you see, when faith isn't a, a priority, you are easily swayed and distracted by things of less importance. But when I make faith a priority in my life, and I'm not borrowing faith, then I crave that time that I get to spend with Jesus and with God, and I'm not distracted by those things of less importance. And so, be aware of where and who and when you tend to borrow your faith and make faith a priority. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're feeling convicted because you realize that you have been borrowing your faith. Well, there's good news. The good news is that you can make the decision today to stop borrowing your faith and make your faith your own. Maybe you had your own faith at one point, but you have been borrowing for so long that you don't know where it went. Or maybe you've never had your own faith, and you've been relying on the faith of others up until this point. And so if that, if that is you this morning, the good news is that you can just choose to stop borrowing and make your faith your own. You see, you don't need any special tools. Christ has already done all the hard work for you. Amen? Right? He has done all the hard work for you. All you have to do is decide that from here on out, I'm going to make faith my own and I'm going to stop borrowing from other people. And so if that is you this morning, there is nothing I would love more than to baptize you into the family of God so that you can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit so that you could stop borrowing your faith. So stop borrowing your faith and choose to make your faith your own because a borrowed faith is a fake faith and an inauthentic faith. If you have any spiritual needs, there's going to be elders in the back. Um, If not, then thank you. Stand for this next song.